0: for half a century. WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom
1: on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station.
0: But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters.
1: Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it.
2: This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50, a name that has come up in the podcast that I'm excited to get to know a little bit better today is on with us from the class of 85. He is the morning news anchor and editor at WC CCO in Minneapolis, Minnesota, famous, great radio station. Mr. Steve Simpson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure, and I'm so thrilled that you reached out. Well, let's uh, go back to the beginning. So how did you get to Syracuse and uh, JPC? Where'd you grow up, and how'd you end up uh, at the Z8 and 9? Grew up
0: outside of Philadelphia in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm pretty fortunate because my whole life, all I wanted to do was radio. Like I had the radio station set up in my basement, you know, yeah. with the turntable and the microphone, like we all did. And so that's what I wanted to do. And I obviously Syracuse's, the reputation precedes it. So I, uh, I did everything I could to just try to squeak under and, uh, and get in there, which <laughs> I did. I had just enough good grades to get in there. And I just, I loved my time there. And I loved everything I learned as much out of class as in class, to be honest with you. How did you find the station
2: when you got to campus?
0: You know, that's another funny story too. And, and again, I, I really appreciated you reaching out to me because I've really thought of it. I've been thinking about this. It made me think about these uh, these years that I was there. And again, it's been a while now. Uh, <laughs> 1981, I got there in the fall of 1981. So that was a long time ago. But you know, at the time there was WAER and there was WJPZ. WAER was the big powerhouse campus owned FM. And then there was this little tiny AM slash cable radio station. Yeah. That people just had fun at and had a good time learning with each other and through each other. And that just from the minute I got there appealed to me more. I had already kind of started, I dipped my toe in a little part-time radio at a really tiny radio station in the town that I grew up in. You know, did a little part time work before I got to college. So I probably had a more inflated version of myself than I should have. But I
2: thought Oh, we all did at 18. That's OK. All
0: right. I, I kind of knew a lot uh, or I thought I did. And so I thought, you know, I'm ready to just go work at this little radio station rather than kind of do the the non-commercial school radio station, your typical, you know, school radio station. Like, right. I kind of wanted to do something that, quite frankly, in my mind and I to this day, I believe, was a little bit more was a little closer to being a professionally run radio station. Mm-hmm. Even in those early days where, you know, we were on the third floor of this old building that had rickety wooden steps and the place was an absolute firetrap. <laughs> and you'd yeah, I got there seven o'clock in the morning, do my little radio show twice a week or whatever it was. But I just felt like I was learning on the job and I could be a disc jockey and I could do the things that I wanted to do. Nobody was breathing down my neck saying, you got to do this or so you got to do that. There was a basic framework, but past that, we could do what we thought was good radio. And we all kind of kept track of each other and kept check on each other. And we all had a pretty good sense of what good radio was. Now, again, if I was doing like more of a sports thing, you know, because again, that's where you go to be a sportscaster, right? W-A-E-R. It certainly was that way back in the day. Uh, Mike Tirico, I worked with Mike Yeah. When I was doing mornings on, at the time, WKFM, he was my sports guy in the morning when he was doing television on Channel 5 there in Syracuse. As an example, he was an AER guy. He absolutely should have been at AER. He probably should have not been at WJPZ, right? But that was the beauty of it is there was that, you know, in a school the size of Syracuse, you had that option. And uh, my option was absolutely the right one for me. And that was to go to JPZ.
2: So Steve, what does a morning show look like in the early 80s at WJPZ? You mentioned going in at 7 a.m. It was me. (laughs) <laughs> it was me, and I think Mary Mancini, whose I know name has come up. She's on an episode of the podcast as well. Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, she and I were close, and I think she and I did a little morning show together mm-hmm. for a while, if I'm not mistaken. Again, it was a long time ago, so I'm trying to put this all back in my memory. But clearly, I mean, I know she and I were there at the same time, and we worked a lot together on various things. But there were many mornings when it was just me, and I just went in, and there was nothing on before me, so I pretty much turned the station on. And... um you know, had the stack of records there. And again, the cool thing about it was it wasn't just a stack of records. It was like, play what you want. You know, we had a format clock. Yep. These were your hops and these were your, you know, recurrence and everything. We did all the things that you did at a real radio station, except we had turntables that were about from the nineteen early 70s at that point. And it was just uh, equipment that was not particularly good. But again, that wasn't the point. The point was, man, I can crack this mic and I can be the guy on the radio that I've wanted to be or I aspired to be. And it was great. And it was, again, seven o'clock in the morning. And many times it was just me on the third floor by myself in this building. There was nobody else there in that building.
2: I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you remember any specific songs you played? Um, It was a recurrent, but it was the
0: Commodores. Lady. Yes. Lady, you bring me up when I'm down. Uh, That was a recurrent though. That had been a couple of years old, but I remember playing that because I love talking up that song. I love the ramp on that song.
2: So you were there when the station moved to FM or is that after you were gone?
0: I was right on the cusp. Okay. Bob Flint, who I know you've spoken with, I know he and Mark Humble, and uh, he came in one day and he said, well, we're going to put the station on FM. And I said, how are we going to do that? (laughs) And he said, well, we're going to figure it out. And I said, okay. I was the program director at the time. I think Bob was the operations manager, whatever we call general manager, perhaps, but I was the program director, and I was like, all right, tell me what to do. He did all the heavy lifting. I didn't do much at that point, uh, but I just you know, programmed the radio station. So I was there, but then I kind of peeled away. I got a job part-time, which led to full-time work at WHEN in Syracuse mm-hmm. um, at 6.20 a.m. It was still you know, a viable radio station that was competing against WSYR. We were kind of the two full-service radio stations that back in those days still played music. Yep. So I started as a part-timer there and then started doing 7 to midnight, so I kind of pulled away. But what I remember about that was when they were getting ready to go on the air, I got a call, and I don't remember who called me. I apologize for that. But somebody called me while I was on the air at, uh, at HEN and said, hey, uh, we need to put together a top-of-the-hour ID for JPZ. Can you help us with that? And I said, yeah, I guess. What, what do you want? And they said, well, I don't know. Just put something Z89. We're going to call it Z89. And so I remember my friend Bill Fole, who was our news guy, and I, one night after work, it was after midnight, because I got off at midnight, we both got off at midnight, we went into a production room, and we just, for like four hours, we started screwing around. Yes. Just putting stuff together, and probably a few beers were involved, I'm not going to lie about that, Mm -hmm. and we put together the top of the hour, which I believe they used, it was the future has arrived, WGBZ, Syracuse, Z89, you know.
2: Did they have somebody voice it, or did one of you guys on the radio in a, a competing station voice it? No, I think it was me. Oh, wow. Okay. I think it was
0: me that voiced it, as I remember. The future has arrived. WKTZ Syracuse is z 9 But at any rate, we put together this thing and then sent it back. And, and so that was kind of as much as I had to do with it going on the air. That was kind of, I at that point had moved out. But yeah, it was um, it was so satisfying when it went on the air. I mean, that was the thing. It was just it was kind of remarkable because I know you've all heard the stories. I won't bore you with them, but you know, from where this station came to where it went in a relatively short amount of time was extraordinary. When I got there in 1981, it was an AM station that nobody listened to on the air, but again, we had gotten on cable, yep. both closed circuit on the campus, but also cable in the, the, the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I think even the city carried us. So And people were listening to us and we were like, we sounded really good. I mean, that was the cool thing. And I knew that if we could just get on FM, we could make a run for the quote unquote real radio stations in town. And that's precisely what happened. And it was just so satisfying. Again, that was long past my time. But to see that happen was great because it was what we all thought could happen given what
2: happened. Right. And it did. And it was just awesome. Rick Wright told that in the podcast about getting calls from general managers at other radio stations saying, what are you guys doing over there? You're pulling ratings away from us. You're taking money out of our pockets. And, And you were part of that formative group in the early 80s that laid the foundation for where they went in the late 80s and beyond. And that was always the case with JPZ. That
0: was kind of how it was founded, right? It was founded with this notion of we want to be kind of a real radio station. And again, it was top 40. So there was no opportunity to do that or go learn that anywhere. If you went to Many or most campus radio stations at that time, you had to sound a certain way and it was presented a certain way. We wanted to get on and talk up songs and mix stuff and, and do the stuff that jocks did. And uh, fortunately, there were many more of them then than there are now. Listen, I remember there were nights, weekend nights, where as far as JPZ people were concerned, there were four radio stations. This was back when radio was live and local 24 hours a day. Sure, And there were four of us on the air overnight on a Friday night or a Saturday night on any given time working at four different radio stations in town. And we would call each other and say, hey, how's it going? And occasionally we'd say, hey, you want to play American Pie? All right, let's try to play that at the same time. And we try to play it at the same time to amuse ourselves.
2: Oh, my God. That's great. Like the long Don McLean, like seven minute version, right? Right. Exactly. So I I remember a friend
0: of mine at the time, it was WNDR. NDR, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We would do that and we'd call each other and say, hey, let's play such and such a song. But there were four of us working in professional radio, literally at the same time in the same hours, because that's where you could go and learn and do your thing. And then you'd either get a call or you'd put your tape out to those radio stations looking for a job. And that's how you got them. It was a great deal. It was great fun. It's WJPZ at 50.
2: Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence.
1: This is WJPZ at 50. Take me
2: through your professional journey after JPZ in Syracuse. Okay, so I worked at WHEN, like I said, part-time, and
0: then I did full-time 7 to midnight, and then I moved to Afternoon Drive there briefly, and then I, um, I got fired because the owner didn't like me, which is fine. Happens. I It happens. I was not everybody's cup of tea. I worked a little blue back then. I wanted to be Howard Stern, kind of, <laughs> so. Then I was offered a job at WKFM, which is 104.7 in Syracuse. Anyway, it was a rock and roll station. And it was good. And I worked there for just uh, just a couple of years. I did mornings. And then I got a call out of the blue from uh, this guy who had just bought a radio station in Indianapolis and said, we'd like you to come work for us there. And uh, I do nothing about Indianapolis, but I said, sure, I, you know, I'll pack up and go. And I did. And I thought I'd be there for a year or two. And I stayed for 25 years. Wow. Uh, <laughs> now, the good news is I didn't do the same thing for 25 years. I had worked with the same company until they were bought out by MS, and Emmis is based there. So I worked for MS, and Mr. Smolian worked three floors up. Yep. So I was uh, very familiar with the MS culture. I first did oldies. I slung oldies for a few years at WKLR in Indianapolis, and then I went down the hall and started working at WIBC, which uh, was a full-service news talk station, flagship of the Colts mm-hmm. and the Pacers and the Indy 500. And, and uh, that was still a legendary radio station when I got there. So these were people that had been on the radio for 40 years, you know, the, the legendary names. And I got to know and work with them. And I was just a kid and it was just great. And, you know, to go out to the Indy 500 and stand next to Lou Palmer, who was this, you know, and have him be a friend of mine and have him explain to me what's going on on the racetrack was just terrific. I knew nothing about racing until I moved to Indy. And uh, and then I became really into it. So then I worked there for, you know, again, a long time. I worked at IBC. I was a news director. I, was, I did talk shows. I'd done a lot of different things. And then in uh, 2014... Uh, they decided they no longer needed me, mm-hmm. uh, which again is fine. And I wasn't sure I was going to stay in radio because at that time, radio was very different than it was, you know, and I just wasn't sure I wanted to to do it anymore. Of course. And so I was going to be the spokesperson for the Indianapolis Police Department. Okay. I had literally taken the urine test. I mean, that's how close I was. <laughs> close. I took the urine test. I was ready to go. And out of the blue, thanks to my former program director at IBC, who used to be the program director here at CCO, he called me and said, don't take that job yet. Call CCO. They want to talk to you. You know, CCO is one of those, you know, if they ask you to call, you call them back. Oh, yeah. So you hear what they have to say.
2: Anybody who knows radio knows those call letters. Absolutely.
0: Right. So I did. And um, they flew me up and they, you know, said, we really like you to come work here. And I guess at that point, I decided I wasn't ready to quit radio yet. And uh, so that was in 2014. The good news is I had some family here. So I wasn't coming out here, you know, just on a whim. Like I I was familiar enough with it out here. And my only I just wish I got here 10 years earlier, but you know, you get places when you get places. I'm thrilled to be here again. Radio has changed very much, but it's cool to be at a station that I believe is truly what I got into radio for. Even with all the changes, you know, this is one of those stations that is truly one of those classic heritage radio station, still a full news talk radio station. And I love that
2: you're kind of alluding to this. And I often ask folks who are we're still working in radio this toward the end of the podcast. But I'll ask you now, what is your current uh, perspective, as comfortable as you are answering this question um, about the current state of radio? You're alluding to it. And I worked in it for 15 years. We're getting out five years ago. It's not what it was in 1985, 95, 2005. But you're at one of those uh, rare birds that's still a big time news talk station. What's your perspective on the industry at this point in 2022 and 2023? I guess I'm heartened by the fact that there still seems to be some appetite for local radio Mm -hmm. done
0: correctly. Not just telling somebody, here's a stack of songs, play them and shut up. (laughs) That's not local to me because guess what? That's been copied on satellite and on internet and everything else. Right. We had managers over the last 30 years in this business destroy the idea of local radio because they told everybody to shut up. And now they want people to talk, and they're like, well, why can't anybody talk on the radio?
2: It's like, well, you've been telling them to shut up for the last 30 years. That's why. I think that's when the portable people meters came in, I think the flaw in it was they said, oh, the research says that people don't want to listen to DJs talk. And I said, no, but it, you should be saying is people don't want to listen to bad DJs talk. Right. They'll tune you out if you're bad, but they'll stick around if you're compelling. No, that's right.
0: And and at the same time now, people are like, well, look at all the podcasts. Well, that's all podcasts are. Yeah. Are people talking? <laughs> and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's awful. Right. I'll let listeners decide what I am on this particular podcast. But, <laughs> but that's the whole point, right? Is that given an opportunity and given a good product, people will listen. And I think that podcasts are certainly showing that to be the case. And I think the most successful radio companies are going to be the ones that can thread that needle because I still think, I mean, there's just, I just saw a study recently for all the talk about internet listening and so on. Overwhelmingly. People who listen to AM and FM radio, they are listening terrestrially from the antenna into their AM, FM radio, wherever that is. Mm -hmm. You know, streaming is certainly there and streaming is going to be the future, but for right now, it is still over the air. So it's still viable. Now, the question is, what kind of content are we giving people to listen to so that they make the point to go and listen to you? And that's the key. But it always has. Somewhere Rick Wright is
2: smiling. Listen to this right now. (laughs) I hope so. Uh Steve, what are some stories that stick out to you from your time at JPZ or less, either, either funny stories you look back on or lessons learned that served you well in your career to this point? You know, I was talking about the, uh, the
0: studio and the old two or three story wooden building there. I think that's where the, um, the hotel is now, the
2: Sheraton, is that? A- the Sheraton, yep. Well, it was right there. That's where the old building was. Come on back to a banquet. We all stay there and uh, right on the spot. Yep. Yeah? I know. I would like to uh, do that sometime. You'll be the only one coming from Minneapolis, well, Rob Burrell might be coming from Minneapolis too, but you'll be the only one in coming from Minneapolis that's going to have better weather in Syracuse in March than you're used to. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's very true. You won't hear a complaint from me. You'll be there in a bathing suit. (laughs) That's exactly
0: right. But no, I thought of that floor, that rickety, you know, going up the back steps and going and working one morning. And it was I was a freshman because I'd only done that for a few months when I first became freshman to do that morning show. And something was on fire. I smelled smoke oh, and I was like, well, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, but I think the building's burning. <laughs> and so I, I waited as long as I could trying to talk myself out of it as my next song was getting ready to start. And I said, I think I better call the fire department. So I called the fire department, but I still stayed up on the third floor because, <laughs> you know, I didn't want the song to end. Yeah. Even though I probably could count on one hand, the number of people who were actually listening at that point to me. So the firemen come up and there's some sort of thing that's bring not in our area, but in a different part of the building, it's a little thing. It's no big deal. But I remember the firemen coming in and kind of being just bemused. And they're looking around at this, just this really interesting looking studio. <laughs> and they're like, what is this? That's what That was their question. What is this? And I said, well, it's, it's a radio station. Can we listen to it anywhere? I said, well, you can, if you get on your cable or, you, you know, I had to, to kind of explain. And they were amused and then they just left. And that was it. So then I continued my little radio show. But A, I was terrified. And then B, I was amused that they like had no idea. And they were almost scared to be where they were because they really had no idea what was going on. They just stumbled across this little radio station with this guy all by himself in this house. Oh, my God. Been in records, you know. And I, I, I know they had no idea what they were
2: walking into. Um, I just remembered that recently. As far as uh, what was your other question? Just anything that you learned while working at the station that served you well when you got into the professional radio world. Wow, there are so many. You know, I look at that uh, and those days when we were there and
0: and it was kind of that core of folks that I, kind of in my class, if you will, we were all really good friends. Yeah. It was kind of like a club, but there was a purpose to the club. And we all shared that common interest of radio. And it was the first time I had ever been around that many people who were like me, who looked and listened at radio like I always had from the time I was the little kid in the basement with my little radio sh- station set up, you know? And I was the kid who, when I was in the car, listening to the radio, I'd turn it up when the song was ending because I wanted to hear what the jock was saying, you know? And then I'd turn it back down a little bit. I didn't need to hear the song because I'd heard that a thousand times, but I wanted to hear what the jock said. And I was around people who we shared stories like that. And it was so cool. And, you know, we'd listen to each other. And we'd say, oh, that was a great break. You know, yeah. that sounded great. Or, oh, yeah. I remember Bob Flint used to come in. And when we'd step on a vocal, you know, talking up a ramp, he, he'd walk in. He'd be shaking his head. And I'd be, what? And he, he'd start stomping on the ground. And he'd say, <laughs> oh, you stomped on that one. You stomped <laughs> on it. And then he walked <laughs> out. But it was just blowing us crap. You know, it was just having fun. And that's what we did. And that really did set me up for that was kind of what I aspired to do when I got into radio. I wanted to be around people I liked, people that got what I did and enjoyed it as much as I did. And I've got to say, in the stations I've been at, I have been ultra fortunate that that's pretty much been the case, that I have found people, I have been surrounded by people who almost 100%, there are a few outliers, sure, but most of them are absolutely those types of people. And this is the first experience I had being around them. And then you get to meet them like over the years or re meet them. You talked about Rob Burrell. I came out here, I was on the air a day, I think, on CCO and I heard the name Burrell and I was like, is that Rob Bur- Rusty? Burrell? Rob yeah. He was a sales manager here at CCO just before I got here. And he called me and we went out to lunch within a week, you know? Yeah. Because he and I worked at JPZ at the same time. And no matter where I go, it seems that, you know, if I tell them I'm from Syracuse, the question is ADR JPZ. Yeah. And when I say JPZ, I love getting the, really? Me too. And that happens. And it's great. And, you you know, you talk about, well, what was it like then versus what was it like when you were there? Heck, I, I know Todd Parker's name came up in the Rick Wright. Yeah. That's an interesting story because in 1981, Hot Hits was just becoming a thing. And it was this format that Mike Joseph had put together. It started in Syracuse at WFBL. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just jingles and it was just crazy high energy. His second station was in Philly which is where I'm from. So I went back for Christmas in 1981 and I heard this Hot Hits format and it just blew me away. And there was this guy named Todd Parker who did Afternoons. And when I got back to Syracuse, I think it was Rick Wright that told me, well, Todd was a JPZ guy. I said, really? So I called him. I think it's spring break and, and I was nervous because this was a really great radio station and this was, yeah. Oh, hi, I, I'm, I work at JPZ. Oh, really? Why don't you come on down? I'll show you around the studio. And so Todd Parker showed me around WCAU FM Hot Hits and it was... It was cool, and um, you could tell that he had, A, the same love of radio that I did, and that we all did, but B, he had kind of a, a sense that he was showing the next group of people. Yes. You know, here's what we can aspire, here's what it looks like at this level. And I always appreciated that. It was the one and only time I had ever talked to him or met him, but I'll never forget it. And I've always tried to keep that in mind if I meet anybody and if they're close by, I say, hey, come on by, you know, let's talk. And that's cool. And you don't get that very often in any, I'm guessing in any other kind of business, right? WJPZ, just using those call letters is almost like a secret handshake across generations. I think that's exactly right. That's a perfect way to put it. And there is kind of that, you know, AER, GPZ, not that you had to pick, but many people did, right? Because there was just a different sensibility. Again, I always go out of my way to say there was nothing wrong with W-A-E-R. They, they have their own history and believe me, they, they're doing fine. Thank you. Yes. But it was just, just, just a different sensibility and what you went to school for and what you were trying to get out of this. And that was the beauty of that. As far as I was concerned, I learned just a ton. I learned how to handle people, you know, as a program director, I had to, you know, sit people down and say, don't bring your own records in or whatever it was. Right. And do it in such a way that they didn't get all, you know, annoyed or whatever. And so, you know, there are the types of kind of interpersonal things that I think I learned too over the couple of years that I was there.
2: It's really interesting in that the conversations I've been having with so many people that the equipment was different. Maybe the building was different. You know, maybe it was a computer or a cart deck instead of a record player. But the stories are all so similar through 50 years of this. And that, and I call it a secret handshake because we all had so many of the same experiences, even if the colors of the walls were different. It was such this common shared experience that we've all shared for 50 years. And again, all I had to do was reach out. I got your name from some of your classmates. We've never met before. I'd never had the pleasure of meeting you before, Steve. But as soon as I said JPZ, you're like, yeah, great. Let's do a podcast. So I really appreciate you taking a few minutes and sharing some memories with us and spending some time with us today. No, it was just, it was great. It was great kind of walking down memory
0: lane for me. I really appreciate you reaching out. And you are so right about that. And I'll just close with this. The idea that, you know, all these years later, again, I left Syracuse in 1987, left Syracuse, left school in about 1984. And the fact that these memories, A, come flooding back to me and the people, like you said, all these years later, they're like, yeah, Steve works at CCO in Minneapolis, call him. There's just something to be said for that. And I think it's it's really, really special. And I hope whatever happens and whatever equipment's being used, I hope that sense and that sensibility of JPZ never goes away. All right. Steve Simpson, thank you
2: so much for the time today. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: right now.